the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I'm joined now by Brigadier General Craig Nixon, retired from the United States Army after a 29-year career. After the war began on 9-11, he spent over four years in combat, including tours in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, He was the commander of the 75th Ranger Regiment. He has also got so many honors, I can't begin to tell you. A silver star, three bronze stars, the Purple Heart. Formerly a partner with my uh, my friend Stanley McChrystal and one of the favorite guests on this show, General Nixon is now CEO of Nixon Six Solutions. Good morning, General. Welcome to the program. Honored to have you. Thank you for joining me. Thanks, you. I appreciate appreciate the invitation. Now, General, I'm a civilian, even though I got a Navy family all around me, so I know that civilians often make mistakes when they talk about military nomenclature and categorization. It has always been my understanding that while every member of the 75th Ranger Regiment, which you commanded, is a Ranger, or nearly every member, not every Ranger has served in the Ranger Regiment. Am I right or wrong as a prelude to discussing Senator Cotton? No, you're absolutely correct. It is, it is confusing, but you're absolutely correct. And so I think it's a mistake that civilians make that they do that. Can you explain the difference between the Ranger Regiment and other Rangers? Sure. Well, I think I think it's the primary difference is it's Ranger School and and the Ranger Regiment. So on one hand, it's a school. It's, a, it's the best leadership school in the Army. And upon graduation from that school, uh, I, you are considered an Army Ranger. At least I consider myself an Army Ranger. The 75th Ranger Regiment and the three battalions associated with it are a unit that is comprised of only people that are Ranger qualified. So that <clears throat> that's the confusion. But, uh, I mean, it, it's it's the, the confusion, particularly as it relates to this discussion, I think is frankly a little bit ridiculous. Did you think the attack on Senator Cotton was in any way justified given any representation? He's been a guest on this show maybe 300 times since 2012, once a week. And he's often said, I'm a ranger. I served with 101st uh, in Iraq and I served with the old guard. He's never, ever said he served in the ranger regiment to me or anywhere else that I can see. Do you think he is being unfairly maligned? Yeah, I think I think it's been taken completely out of context. I, 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 I don't know Senator Cotton. I mean, I've looked at a lot of his statements and to your point, uh, to my knowledge, he's never talked, claimed to have been in the Ranger Regiment or one of the Ranger battalions. He's always clearly stated he's in the 101st of the Old Guard, and he's a graduate of Ranger School. So I think, and, and this is not the first time it's come up. It's come up a number of times, and frankly, one of the reasons uh, that I agreed to come on and do the show is I, I just think this argument, it distracts from the things that we ought to be focused on. Well, it, it, 
it was coincidental that I am reading a book by a fellow named Michael Waltz, who's a congressman. And I'm reading his book, Warrior Diplomat, because my son went to work for him in Congress recently. And coincidentally, I'm reading about one of his heated battles in Afghanistan. I mean, very heated. People are getting killed and shot. And he writes, the Ranger Creed that we recited every day in that hellish school was burned into my head. I will never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy. He's a Green Beret. He did not serve with the Ranger Regiment, but it clearly has an impact on every Ranger who goes through the school. That's correct. And that's what it was designed for. Uh, And frankly, the school was designed before the modern day Ranger units were designed. So it was a follow on to the school. What was it? I think. Go ahead, General. I, I think, you know, if you really want to understand this, there's one Ranger Hall of Fame. And that Ranger Hall of Fame is comprised of two different groups of people, people that served in the Ranger Regiment and the battalions and people that are Ranger qualified. So clearly the Rangers who created the Ranger Hall of Fame believe they're both inside that umbrella. Do members of the regiment generally resent the Ranger qualified as describing themselves as Ranger? I, you know, this is a little bit like inside baseball. I mean, if you're at the officer club drinking beer, you're going to have arguments over my units better than your unit. You you haven't done as much as I've done. That's that, clearly that's a discussion. It's not a political discussion and it's not. A, and we shouldn't be using it to disparage uh, people's character because I just think it's wrong. Well, that, that is, I think, the bottom line. Now, now, General, would you talk to me a little bit about what happens in ranger school I, tom does not elucidate it and i've read about it in the waltz book as well but what is it what is it that they do that makes people a different kind of soldier than they were when they began the school well the the focus on ranger school is leadership and combat and what they try and do is they try and replicate combat in the in the only way you can in peacetime and that's to to provide stress and they provide stress through lack of food, lack of sleep, uh, continuous movement, hard exercise, uh, peer interaction. So it, it is an extremely stressful event that you're evaluated from the time you begin till the time, time you finish. And it's probably the closest replication you're going to have to leading in combat. And that's the crucible that, that you go through. And that's why it's such an important school uh, a leadership school for all of the Army, not just for the people going on the Ranger Regiment. Now, the the distinction between special forces is often also mixed up. All special forces serve often under the Special Forces Command, but they each have their unique um, ethos and creeds, correct? The SEALs are not the same as the Air Force pilots, who are not the same as the Green Berets, who are not the same as the Rangers or Marine Recon, but they're all special forces, right? Yeah, again, they're all special operations forces. And then that gets a little bit confused with special forces because, again, that's a school. So, you know, special forces school or the special forces branch of the Army is different than the SEALs, different than the the special operations aviators or the Rangers. So, yes, they're all part of the umbrella of special operations forces. So, General Nixon, you've answered that question, and I appreciate it. If I can borrow you for a different question right now, given your extensive service in Afghanistan, and I'm looking forward to asking Congressman Waltz this and everyone who served in Afghanistan, what do you think we ought to do now after 20 years? Uh, Because we clearly 
haven't, quote, won a war, uh, but we are also clearly sort of exhausted with the effort. What's your looking back? What would you suggest we do now? Well, I, I believe for a long time that uh, that we should reduce the presence down to really a, a counterterrorism force, a special operations force um, that is focused on continuing to enable the Afghani, Afghanistan government. Um, I, I don't I don't I don't think we should stay committed to long term wars, but I don't consider uh, special operations presence, particularly in a spot this as tenuous as Afghanistan, uh, to be an extension of long war. We have we have soldiers in 77 countries on any given day. Uh, so I think I think we get a, we get a little bit bound by we have to get everyone out of Afghanistan versus we need to stop the war in Afghanistan. We need to stop the war in Afghanistan. But we should continue to have a presence in some level with the Afghanistan government uh, for all the reasons that we know. The proximity, the, the history, the, um, the amount of blood, sweat and tears that we put into it. Now, would that be at Bagram or would it be at many sites throughout the country? Uh, I think, you know, I, I, obviously the tactical commanders on the ground would figure that out. I, I think it would be at a handful of sites, not many sites. Afghanistan is a very tough environment to operate in. That's what's coming. You know, I've read a lot of books about Afghanistan, unless you've been there and I haven't been there unless you've fought there. And certainly a lot of people in the military haven't even fought there. But reading the Waltz book, I'm thinking to myself, this was almost an impossible mission. And we were discussing it last night. Why is it? Why is Afghanistan the impossible nut for anyone to crack, whether it's the British, the Russians or the Americans? Well, I, I think the the problem with Afghanistan is it's a regional problem. It's not just a country problem. So if you want to if you want to solve Afghanistan, you have to think larger than Afghanistan. It, it has to incorporate all all the other countries around it because that's that's one of the reasons it's so difficult to get at. It's very compartmented. It's isolated. It's not near any real ports. So so to get to it is hard. And then it's surrounded by a bunch of stakeholders that do not want Afghanistan to be secure and stable. So it, it, to solve it, it's, it's a much larger uh, focus. So my, my last question, General, and it's because you know that and given your background, the Chinese Communist Party is interested in Afghanistan. They have a border and they need resources. Do you expect they will make a play for Afghanistan as the fourth effort to have a superpower control on it that I'm aware of. And I guess we could say Alexander the Great was the first effort. But do you think the CCP will be in there and and rather more ruthless than anyone before them has been? Uh, not in the way that that I think you're implying. I, I think I think China's all over the world right now, but they, but they are there looking for strategic resources for strategic lines of communication, for economy, it's not a it's not a military effort. They've they've been fighting a long term strategic uh, plan to to gain power. So it won't be in the in the way that you know they're going to put a military presence there. They're already there as it relates to mining resources, strategic comms, and I think you'll see that continue. How do they pull that? Yeah, you know, that I'm just confused. How do they pull that off without military? What did they do that we didn't figure out how to do? Because it's my understanding they are there 
and they are exploiting resources. How do they get away with that? And we couldn't do it. Well, they, the, partly the way they do it. I mean, they, they, they bring in large, large, large sums of money and people, to, uh, and they trade money for resources. So I think they've done that across the board. So that, And they're very focused on it. I think is it there's... A, a, is it a model we ought to adopt? Uh, it's a model we ought to understand because if we're going to compete with them, and, and clearly the, the rhetoric now is that we're going to con- compete with them, then we need to understand that they've been campaign. They've been using this campaign since the at least the early '90s. So, I mean, if if we want to compete with them, we need to understand what they're doing, and it's and it's much broader and much more long term than I think most people understand or appreciate. It, clearly it is, and I hope you'll come back and talk about it in the future. Brigadier General Craig Nixon retired. I appreciate the time this morning. Thank you for clearing up the confusion and for your contribution on the great power competition, which is uh, something we're getting into every day more deeply. Thank you, General. Thank you. That was, oh, look, that's just definitive. That's just definitive. And I'm not going to spend any more time on it. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.